All right, wonderful. Can't wait to get back to my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hello and welcome to the Super Bayern Podcast. A whole lot has happened since we last spoke. Bayern manager Julian Nagelsmann has contracted COVID-19 and has been in quarantine. Joshua Kimmich has been under heavy media scrutiny for his choice not to get vaccinated. Lucas Hernandez has both been sentenced to prison and, thankfully, had that sentence removed. And Bayern Munich have managed to somehow look like both the best and the worst possible versions of themselves in the space of just a few days. I'm Benjamin Scott, and I'm here to talk about that with my friends, Tim Richards. Hello there. And Sebastian Zimmerman. Hi. Let's start off by talking about how Bayern have looked over the past few weeks without uh, Julian Nagelsmann, and it really has been a, a mixed bag of results. Some very good, and some, I feel like very bad isn't even a strong enough descriptor. Atrocious, maybe. And, and I think that's where we should start off with uh, the the midweek loss 5-0 to zero to Gladbach in the DFB Pokal. Um, yeah, there's just a lot to unpack there. And so, Tim, I'm going to I'm going to come to you because you tweeted out, and you said this in the chat as well, that this was the first time you have ever stopped watching a Bayern Munich match early. You've just shut off the TV. You couldn't have, uh, couldn't you just deal with it anymore. And so, um, you know, straight off the bat, Tim, is this the worst Bayern performance, the worst single worst Bayern performance that you think you have ever witnessed? It's certainly up there. I, I like, there have been, I'm, I'm unfortunate enough to have seen Bayern lose, well, not lose by five goals, but like have I've seen Bayern concede five goals like a number of times. I've seen Bayern and like Germany as well. Like, so if anybody doesn't know, I also support the Germany national team and the whole like Germany one, England five. That was a very fun thing to go into school back in 20 years ago. That was goodness me. Um, like it's happened before. Bayern have been on the receiving end of really heavy defeats. Like, I guess like in recent years, the 4-0 um, to Real Madrid at the Allianz Arena, like the Frankfurt game, um, Kovac's last game. Um, but then like it, it goes back even further to games against like Wolfsburg, like several years ago, like I think it was about 10 years ago um, when they had Edin Dzeko and Grafich. I think that was how you pronounce his name. Like Bayern have conceded five goals before and, and there have been games where Bayern have been shut out before when they haven't been able to to score a goal and uh you know it, it happens like it does happen this was this was just so irritating and i can't exactly pinpoint exactly why though um so as you said like this was the first game that i i just didn't i didn't finish it which like is is a shame because I, I think I've spoken about how last season I felt this kind of this disconnect with the team. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't enjoy watching it that much. And, and part of that comes down to like my relationship with the team and like, and the club and, and watching it. Like I wasn't watching one of the games with my dad, like how I used to. Um, and so like may, maybe that was it. And then going into this season, I had this, this great excitement. Like I really love Nagelsmann. I like up Meccano. I'm I'm excited to see what Sane can do. I'm I'm now like a big Lewandowski supporter. 
I have everything kind of like fell into place and I was like, this is going to be so great. And I can remember in like the last few, in the last few episodes of the podcast that we've done, I've said that like the defense looks really, the defense looks really strong. Like there's no, there's no nonsense about it. Like there's no element of somebody like trying to be really clever. Like it's just, they get the ball and they get rid of it or like they, they work it into space really quickly. And and I think I kind of caveated it by saying I'm aware that Bayern aren't going to keep a clean sheet every single game, but it seemed more likely that they would. That, oh man, that's that's aged very poorly uh, on on my part, which is, is frustrating for me because it doesn't do me any favours for any jobs as a journalist in the future. Um, yeah, this was this was really quite abysmal. And it's so hard to pinpoint exactly why. Because as I said, I've I've watched Bayern lose. I've watched Bayern lose heavily. I've watched Bayern lose without scoring. But there was something about this. I think it was just a matter of there didn't seem to be any plan to like rectify what was happening. So Bayern's midfield was like just cut open like so so easily. Um, I, I think if you were to if you look at the average positions, I, I think I've, I've tweeted this and I've said it in our in our chat as well, but. If you look in the average positions of that game, Kimmich and Goretzka are like so far past the halfway line. And then when you look at the defence, when you look at where Upamecano and and Hernandez were, there's just such a huge gap. And obviously, like teams are going to make the most of that. Um, and, and I know that like the average position doesn't say like exactly what happened, but it was just it was just so poor. It was so poor and everybody seemed to completely forget. So I say everybody. I think you can look at somebody like Upamecano and say, okay, this was a very bad game for him. But then you look at other games that he's played and you think this guy's clearly got some talent here. He, and okay, maybe he's he's very young and and he is susceptible to making mistakes like that happens. It's, it's just very frustrating. But there were so many times where players didn't, defend when they absolutely needed to and while I think it's very easy to say okay this is the fault of Upamecano who yeah definitely really bad game probably the worst game that he's definitely the worst game that he's played for Bayern certainly the worst game that he's going to play at least I hope you can easily look at him and say okay that's that's the fault there like this is where it went wrong or look at Hernandez and say okay he like this was the issue there I think you have to look at the midfield though Kimmich and Goretzka have been have played just about every available minute, uh, like since like since that pivot kind of took form. I think at the at the start of last season, like they they've played together from from the very beginning, and it's an element of it is it's it's showing that they're they're both very tired. I think I've said it before that Goretzka doesn't look like he's ever fully recovered from the injury that he got uh, just before the PSG games. This whole this midfield needs needs addressing, um, and, and maybe that seems slightly reactionary to say like after after this defeat, yeah, okay, we need we need we need some changes. I think is is different if you look at the Frankfurt game where you lose two one and say okay, this this needs to be overhauled. If you lose five nil, that is something that does need that needs addressing. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's kind of like my main takeaway from it is that. There, there clearly is something at fault there, and you can you can say the defenders played really, really poorly. But I don't think you can 
you can completely ignore the midfield. I think that's something that that uh, desperately needs looking at because, um, for for my in, in my eyes, I think the the Kimmich and Goretzka midfield it does work, but it doesn't work all the time. And and this was like a, I think this was like a, a fine example of that, or like a really unfortunate example of that. Well, we're going to revisit that uh, that midfield conversation later in the podcast. But um, Sebastian, when it comes to you now, you know thoughts on the defeat. You know how bad was the performance, and maybe I don't know. Help, help, because the question has to be asked. You know what happened? What what went wrong for Bayern to be flying so high in the games leading up to this, and then just utterly fall apart? I mean, maybe do the off field issues have a uh, a significant role to play in, in what happened here? Uh, first and foremost, I would like to point out that uh, this has been pretty exceptional as far as bad uh, bad losses go, I would say. Uh, for one thing, this has not been a very particularly strong opponent. This is not like uh, Champions League semifinals or anything, and you finally find out that this is a bit too tough of, of a competition for you. This was a struggling Gladbach team. This is one reason why I feel that this is like worse than a lot of earlier bad losses have been, I would say. Also, this was not a Bayern team that came into this struggling or anything. This is a Bayern team that had been looking brilliant, really. Uh, and still, we had this performance. We also need to keep that in mind, because a lot of the bad losses that I can remember were from times where Bayern was really struggling. They didn't really know what kind of football they wanted to play. There were there were differences like between certain players that were there and so on. None of that has been there. And also, it wasn't like the nerves or anything. It's not like they were under too much pressure and uh, it fell apart. And then one mistake, we got the, ne the next mistake and so on. It didn't look like that either. It just looked like... Uh, a team that was trying hard and just was, well, a certain amount, like, just better than this Bayern team. And this is kind of surprising and also scary, I would say. Now, when we're looking at how did this this uh, come to be, I would say, yes, for me, the off-the-field issues are very important here. Of course, uh, with Lucas Hernandez, you can imagine what must go have been going on in his mind, like, this thought that you might have to go to prison like next week or something or maybe over the next couple of days or weeks uh his mind probably wasn't in the preparation for this game so that's not great even worse with Kimmich of course because Kimmich is one of those players you're going to look to when you think about uh who's going to make sure that this team is going to focus who is going to make sure that everybody is doing their job? Kimmich is usually one of the first uh, who come to mind. So if he's probably distracted, this doesn't only mean that he's maybe is going to make mistakes, but it also means that he's not going to be able to keep the others in line. Um, so this is definitely a huge factor. And also, without Nagelsmann on the bench, this is, of course, the next guy who is not going to be there to keep everybody in line, to, to keep making sure that everybody's doing their job. So, and these three things coming together, I, I think we really shouldn't underestimate this. This is, of course, like, not an excuse, but I think, yeah, we definitely need to be serious about this and not uh, say, ah, oh, it's just, it's just, uh, just an excuse here. 
it, it's just what it is, right? So this is definitely has a huge impact, I would say. Um, some people have been talking about uh, tactical issues here. I don't think that there were any like tactical issues in the sense uh, that the tactic was wrong. But I would say tactical discipline was, was a big factor here. Uh, because this is what you have Nagelsmann on the sideline for. This is what you have uh, Joshua Kimmich for. And then someone... Uh, Hernandez in an important position. So th this is these are just a lot of problematic things coming together. And I think that's at least part of the explanation. That said, of course, I'm not sure if that's quite sufficient because we still had like Manuel Neuer on the field, we had Thomas Müller on the field, and yeah, Thomas Müller said this uh, in in an interview that uh, their Bayern München Wut motor didn't start, which is like the anger engine, if you will. I, I don't know if he had, has used the, this word before or he came or whether he came up with it on the spot. But yeah, I, th I think that's true because. It's definitely fathomable that um, a club like uh, a club like Gladbach could score a goal or two against Bayern, but then that there is no answer to that. Like the, you cannot really see Bayern stepping it up because that's what what was definitely missing here, right? Uh, that's really really concerning, and I really hope, yeah, that they can figure that out and that everybody is going to be on their A game again. It has been looking like that, of course, uh, as we will probably talk about. Uh, today too because yeah af after that game things were definitely looking up now yeah but I mean, yeah definitely yeah. a little concerned yeah, it's not been totally bad like you said but I, um and you kind of mentioned this already i think one of the most concerning concerning things about the loss is like when you look at that lineup um you can make an argument that that's the best 11 that we have available uh, obviously I, none of us would probably want Pavard in there at right back, we'd probably replace him, but uh, he alone didn't, you know, definitely didn't contribute to that entire loss. And uh, other than that, you know, that 11 has beaten teams much better than Gladbach before by a pretty significant scoreline. And so, in a lot of ways, it, it, it came out of nowhere. Um, obviously, Gladbach have been kind of a bogey team for Bayern in recent, uh, recent years. And so, that's not too surprising that it was going to be a tough game, but. It's really a, a tough one to uh, sort of understand and, and, and make sense. Now, Tim, I want to come back to you to talk about that uh, that midfield conversation that you brought up a minute ago. And really, Bayern have been rotating pretty heavily over the past couple of weeks. Nagelsmann has made sure that several different players played, but uh, that Goretzka Kimmich duo is one that we've just seen over and over and over. Marcel Sabitzer hasn't played a ton, but he's the only one who's really been mixing minutes. Uh, with either of the two of them. And we've talked a little bit offline about this. Uh, you are, are are really in favor of us getting or playing what you would call a more um, actual defensive midfielder. And we have someone in theory who should be able to play that role in Mark Roca, but we really haven't seen much of him in recent weeks. So I guess, or not even just recent weeks, like hardly at all since his time coming to Byron. And so uh, I just, do you think that maybe he would be able to help sort of solve that issue uh sebastian even talked about the tactical discipline to sit a little a little bit deeper because obviously goretzka and kimmich neither one love to sit deep do you think that he would be able to fill that role and you know if so why are we not seeing him getting basically any minutes at all i yeah i i think of all of the people in the squad i think mark Roca is the only one that is 
well, I suppose you could probably make a, an argument for Nianzu potentially. Um, Rocker is the only one that is kind of like his profile fits what we don't have because we've kind of we we were, had this luxury of having somebody like Javi Martinez who just kind of sat in that area that was left so exposed against Gladbach. And yeah, he wasn't agile. I don't think he was ever agile. Not, it wasn't helped by the injury that he got in his third season, I think right at the start of his third season. He wasn't agile. He wasn't the most glamorous player, but he did a job that no one really wants to do. And that is, he covered that role, that whole area really, really well, like effortlessly so. Um, actually, maybe not effortlessly. <laughs> maybe not like the best like descriptor really... for Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was um, like he he put in he put in the work. Like it, it seemed to come to him effortlessly. Mm-hmm. He always put in the effort. It came to him very naturally. I think is maybe the the better way of describing it. Um, but we've had we've had him. We've had Xabi Alonso. We've had even Philip Lahm as well. Like we've had these guys that are capable of. Um, I suppose you could probably even make a slight argument for Thiago potentially. Like you've had people that are willing to kind of sit back and just kind of cover that role. Um, because what that then allows is that you're, if your fullbacks push up in the way that typical Bayern fullbacks do, it means that you have that security of a three-man backline. Like the fullbacks join the midfield and then, you know, your defensive area is is covered. I, I think that was one of the biggest areas of, of weakness for the Germany team in the 2018 World Cup and also the Euros just gone. There was nobody in that midfield that was willing to kind of sit back and, and do the dirty work. And it meant that if your fullbacks push forward, all of a sudden you've got a two-man back line. And I, I guess like if we look at what happened in the game against um, uh, who we played yesterday, who did we play yesterday? Goodness me, it's, it's gone from... Union. It's gone from my memory. That's the one. Sorry, I am I am a fan and I do watch the games. Um, <laughs> it might not seem that way. Um, there, like there were times where there was just this monumental disconnect between Nicolas Sula and, and Hernandez. Like these two guys just didn't seem to work very well. You can negate that by having another player there to cover the areas that are left that are left exposed. I don't think that Mark Rocker is a defensive midfielder in the same vein as Javi Martinez, who can, you know, throw his body on the line. Um, and and like sacrifice himself for that you know to make sure that a player doesn't get through on goal. But I do think he is the kind of player that would sacrifice going forward. Because I think I've seen on Reddit and Twitter people saying, "Oh, we don't have anybody that can that can cover the role of Yosua Kimmich." We do. Yosua Kimmich is, in my eyes, not a defensive midfielder. He's a quintessential number eight. Like he's one of the best number eights around I, I think if it's kind of a toss-up between somebody like him and Kevin De Bruyne even though he's not really number eight he's more of a very withdrawn number 10 I don't know you can get into the whole technicalities of it um very very easily but in terms of a defensive midfielder that's going to cover that area we don't have anybody that regularly gets into the side um I, I think like Goretzka sometimes plays that role in allowing Kimmich to go forward because if you take away Kimmich's ability to go forward you limit that player if anything, you probably limit his best attributes because um, it's not even you You get rid of half of his skill set. You get rid of like solid like 70% of his skill set because he is so good at at playmaking. Mm-hmm. And so having him close to the goal, like 
don't know, you just need to look at the the Champions League final against Paris to see that this is a guy that loves being in that area. That is his best role. It's it's so it's so frustrating and completely understandable when you have players that want to get forward. Like it's it's great to see that that you know we have a we have a team that wants to get forward, that wants to attack and always wants to be on the front foot. And I think you can play a high line and have that area of the pitch covered. I just don't think that, that Kimmich is the guy for it. I don't think Goretzka is the guy for it. I certainly don't think Tolisso is the guy for it. There have been far too many mistakes with him like being slow on the ball and and also adding to the fact that he's probably leaving at the end of the season as well. That that's going to hinder his chances of of like getting a, a long term place in the in the role uh, in that squad. Of all of the players in in the team, I think that Rocker is the only person that could do that role adequately. I do think that he, I guess to answer the other question, like why isn't he in the squad? I think it is an element of just he isn't as good um, as as we want him to be, which is fine. Like sometimes things don't work out the way um, the way we want them to. Um, however, I, I think like for as long as he's there, we might as well use him. Um, because like if it's not him... I, I don't know. I think the only alternative would potentially be Nianzu. And that's like, a, that's a great way for him to, um, you know, to regularly get time on the pitch. But for the time being, there is something sorely lacking. And I don't think this, this double pivot of Kimmich and Gretzka is, is what it is. I think Stark, Stark Kimmich, definitely like, okay, he probably does need a rest because he's, he's clearly not the player that he, that he was like a few months ago. But I think between between the two of them, between Kimmich and Gretzka, Gretzka needs time to like get back to what he used to be able to do, and in that time off, have somebody that can that can just sit and absorb the attacks, and it doesn't have to be like a destroyer midfield in the same way that someone like Casemiro is or um, or Javi Martinez, but just somebody that can at least sit there and doesn't have this um, doesn't have this impetus to just charge forward and leave the defense exposed. Yeah, that I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a shame that that Rocker hasn't panned out the way that we all kind of need him to at this point. And I guess I'm kind of curious how you think about this. So, are you really this skeptical of this pairing in general? Because I still think uh, going forward we should definitely see a lot of Kimmich and Goretzka pairings uh, because I still think they can pull it off against just about anyone. Uh, I just think like having an option that we trust to get in there whenever we, we feel we need a bit more stability uh, when something is not quite clicking with the two. Having an option to put in there whoever that is. Maybe it can be Roka, may maybe it can be Nianzu. That's definitely possible. I think it would be very healthy to have that even even if uh, I think no none of us really missed um, ha having a proper very defensive kind of number six player on the squad the whole of last season, I guess. But I think that that would definitely be good to have that option. But for me, at least, uh, I think I don't want a new starter. I'm sure I don't want a new starter here. I don't know if you guys agree. Well, I would. Yeah, I, I, I think. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead sorry, sorry, but no, 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 no. You go ahead. I've I just spoke for half an hour. So no, you're good. I was you. I was gonna say. Um, I, I see where you're coming from. I kind of think I might lean more towards Sebastian. Uh, the Gladbach game was 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 woeful. It was a tragedy, and I don't think you're being reactionary by highlighting issues, and I don't think you're being reactionary by talking about the midfield because 
Um, as good of, as Bayern have been, I don't think Kimmich and Goretzka have been as spectacular as we've seen them play at times. Um, however, I'm skeptical to bring in, an, or I don't necessarily think we need to bring in another starter. I agree with you that Kimmich is better going forward than he is sitting back. I, I think that he could be one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. I think he absolutely is the best pure number eight in the world. Um, but I think my, I guess my argument against it rests on the whole entire fact that Byron, so much of Bayern's play uh, relies on and sits on that Kimmich, Goretzka, Muller midfield that um, attack hard, keep the ball in the other half of the field, and hope our defenders can you know bail us out whenever um, the other team happens to break through and have that counterattack. And, and yes, uh, Gladbach you know ripped apart the midfield uh, in the game midweek. However, I think more of an issue for me was the spacing at the back, right? You talked about looking at players' average positions and, and Kimmich and Goretzka were pushed so far forward, which I think you could also attribute to the fact that by the time Bayern were 3-0 down after 20 minutes, they had to go forward. But if you look at the defense, there there's a massive gap between where Upamakano was playing and where Lucas Hernandez is playing. And when you have such a gap between the defenders, when you have two players who like two defenders who also like to push up and both play super aggressively. When the midfield gets caught out, the center backs are caught out, getting caught out uh, as well. And so I, th- I think that, yeah, we need to look at the midfield and work some things out. However, I also think we have to tell our defenders, like, you guys both can't be getting that far caught out position. If, if one of you goes forward, the other one has to sit back. And really, that's what we were missing out on, in my opinion, against Gladbach, was we had two super high aggressive defenders who were both going forward, leaving so much space for for the team to work in and and cut us open and get in behind. I also think, again, if you look at the positions, we really got away from that sort of... Because we haven't been playing a a pure 4-2-3-1 under Nagelsmann, it's almost been more of a a 3-1 or a 3-2-4-1, sorry, with kind of the the right back tucking in as more of a center back. Davies going forward as like a left wing, Sané... Uh, and Muller both playing as kind of number 10s, Gnabry on the right side, and then the two defensive midfielders and Lewandowski up top as a striker, and we really got away from that and went more toward that 4-2-3-1, and it kind of fell apart. But uh, anyway, t- to go back to what Sebastian you know, had kind of just brought up and mentioned to answer his question, no, I'm right there with you. I don't, I don't think we need another starter. I don't think we need to sort of break everything down and say, okay, who can we bring in to fix this? I think the question needs to be more, okay, how can we change this team? Uh, How can we change our tactics or not even change, just tweak the tactics that we're using to make this 11 work? Because I think we absolutely can. I think it may even almost be as simple as drilling into Leon Goretzka, by far the more physically capable, capable of our two midfielders, drilling into him, hey man, you have to stay back. Like, you're great going forward. We know you can score the goals, but Joshua Kimmich just offers so much in terms of pure creativity going forward that when he goes up, you have to stay back. And we've seen him do this before. We know I know that he can play this role. I don't know if he needs rest. I don't know, you know, if he has to make that full injury recovery, whatever it is. Um, but I don't think we're to the point where it's like we have to rework everything. I think that we can sell you know, one or the other, look, when, when this guy goes forward, you stay back. Or you just say, hey, sit in the hole. I know you can go forward, but there's no need for you to. Sit in the hole and we'll be fine. Um, so that, I now I've talked for like an hour, Tim, so go ahead. 
my turn to do exactly the same. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I agree. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of historical data to, to suggest that Kimish and Goretzka clearly works very very well together. Um, I think there is well, I, I suppose to go back to that comment about Tula and Hernandez having that kind of disconnect. I don't think that they have that. I, I think they they work really really well together. It helps that they're clearly very good friends on the pitch as well. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of that, and also you have to certainly incorporate Muller into this as well. Um, I was I was just thinking about this is that I think both Goretzka and Kimmich would work really really well as two eights with a defensive midfielder behind them, but then with that you don't have Muller on the pitch, mm-hmm. and so you need to have Muller on the pitch because that gets the best out of Lewandowski. And so if you want the best out of Lewandowski, you have to play Muller. And if you play Muller, then you have to have a double pivot. And then two best midfielders are Goretzka and, and Kimmich. It's kind of a it's kind of a cursed chalice of having very good players. Um I, I think in in my eyes, what I would do is I would keep Goretzka out of the team for a little bit, let him recover. Um, because I I don't think his form is anywhere near as good as as it was, um, I, I still maintain that he does not look like he's at 100% fitness. Well, he certainly isn't now. He went off with a knock. Um, but I, I think in that time, have somebody that will certainly do that role, uh, as, as in like the role that just covers that area. Because even Sabitzer, you know, that I think that's the other midfield pairing that we've seen of like Kimmich and Sabitzer. He is another person that is desperate to go forward. Um and so, like when when time comes that Goretzka is clearly back to his best, I think you're spot on, and you need to drill it into him. Play as a defensive midfielder, hmm. and because like, of the two between between Kimmich and, and Goretzka, Goretzka is clearly the most like physically intimidating. Well, he's probably one of the more physically intimidating players at the club in general. Right. He has he has that ability to to kind of like absorb just about any attack from from anybody. He's got the agility. He certainly will have the agility to cover a large area if necessary. I think it, it does need to be a matter of telling him, you like, don't go past this line unless you absolutely have to. I, I think I've, I mentioned it before. I remember watching uh, Lucio when, when he was at Bayern. He would always go on these amazing runs like he'd he'd pick up the ball, kind of what like Hummels uh, did in like in recent years. He'd pick up the ball, he'd run through the midfield, and then would just kind of lay it off to somebody, and then like just run back. And then weirdly, I can't remember under which manager it was, he just wouldn't be allowed to go past the halfway line. And it was so jarring because I was like, this guy's clearly got so much like so much desire to get forward. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it makes sense. Bayern are a team that want to score a lot of goals. They want to attack. I think it's only natural. But I, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think this is necessary to buy somebody like entirely new just to like sit there. I think if you've got the players, you might as well use them. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's that's probably the the secret to it is that can like not even convince, but coach Goretzka into just being in that area because you can still score goals like Lampard scored goals. Um, Gerard scored goals from, from that, right. Uh, from that area. It's like, it is doable, but yeah, I, I'm, I do agree. I think those two work too well to, uh, to ignore. Well, I think that's enough of the bad. Let's, let's kind of talk about some of the good, because if you take the Gladbach game away, Byron have been in incredible form over the past few weeks and uh, arguably looked like the best team in the world. Every time they step, Every time they step on the pitch, and 
as much as may have gone tactically wrong against Gladbach, we have to talk about uh, the tactics tactics Nagelsmann has been using to get the absolute best out of the wingers uh, in this team. Because all I'll say four of them, all four of them, uh, Sané, Coman, Gnabry, and Musiala have been playing at probably uh, the best of their abilities. And you recently asked Sebastian in, in the chat, uh, have we given Nagelsmann enough credit for getting the best form of our, out of our wingers? And so I guess I want to give you um, the time right now to talk about that. You know, is are people giving Nagelsmann enough credit for taking a group of wingers who struggled significantly last season, except maybe Musiala, and turning them into um, a group of elite attackers? And uh, maybe, maybe you can spend some time talking about your favorite of the Mali or Sané in this new sort of hybrid <laughs> winger number 10 role that he's been playing and how that's uh, worked out for him. Yeah, uh, I will definitely talk about Lira Sane a bit. I can promise that. Uh, I wouldn't still call him my, my absolute <laughs> favorite there, uh, to nobody's surprise. But yeah, I mean, when we, first we have to uh, remember how things used to be here, I feel. Um, Serge Gnabry used to be sometimes brilliant, but also having a lot of off days. Uh, Lira Sane, uh, it wasn't even like he had like, very dominant games it was more like he, a good goal here mm-hmm. a nice assist here but also a lot of nothing happening at times uh we all know the old kingsley Coman problem right having a, a a lot of trouble uh scoring himself also overthinking a lot uh and then there was of course muziala who was just like was very slowly getting into this uh becoming a an actual option on the wing and now it looks like we have uh four elite wingers there which is of course a huge difference uh, i think some people maybe underestimate this because people are used to bayern having great wingers uh but yeah we have have had wingers who are sometimes great but often uh just weren't so this is definitely a a like a very very stark difference here uh and i think uh we can also see that um nagelsmann has a lot to do with that because it's not just that those wingers suddenly uh flipped the switch and now uh, they know what to do but we can really see that um the system has changed and i think the wingers are probably the most uh, important aspect of change that we can see there. For one thing, of course, uh, as, as I think has been mentioned, Sané has not exactly been playing much of a winger recently, um, which has given him a lot more freedom, I would say. Uh, it has not always been these uh, runs on counters, of course, which he could also, uh, which he would also be very good at, of course, but there's just not many, uh, many opportunities for counterattacks at Bayern, of course. So um, instead, he has been coming over the middle a lot, and it has been going pretty well, you can say. So if I just, as one example, uh, take the last game against Union, he has been like pretty much uh, the the on the opposite side of Müller, mm-hmm. and both of them have been like very much inside inside players and and not really wingers. Uh, if you look at the average positions, and that's definitely a huge change, because Sane had. I think often had often been struggling a bit just being uh at the sideline basically running up and down um that that just 
well, there just wasn't much happening in some games. He was running and running, and then he was trying uh, to, to get a ball in, but it just, yeah, n just not much. And now it's definitely a huge difference. I would, and I haven't said this, I haven't had an opportunity to say this, I think, since he, uh, since he has been at the club. This is definitely, uh, he, there have been games when he was the best player on the field. Uh, yeah, and I just can't, can't remember any of that from last year, actually. I don't, I'm not sure if there was, one game where I would have like uh, directly said he was the best uh, player on the field there. Um, and of course that also means things are a bit different on the other side, which would usually be the right side. And that's also quite interesting uh, because at times this position has been interpreted very, very differently. Uh, like again, taking, taking the Union game um, as an example, because I still have it open here, uh, because I mentioned it a moment ago. Puman was uh, like quite on on par uh, with Lewandowski in terms of who's the m most attacking player on the field, really. Um, and uh, in other games, Gnabry has been kind of on the same level with Davies mm -hmm. on the other side. Uh, so we have we have had games where we have a right winger who's more like a kind of well defensive wing player. And sometimes we have had a right winger who is even nearly like a second striker. So, huge difference there. Um, and I'm not sure where this is going. Is this uh, like Nagelsmann uh, giving different players different roles depending on what's needed for the team? If this is the players just interpreting their positions a bit differently? But yeah, it, f so far it has been going really well. I think also Muziala is also a player who definitely profits from uh, having uh, the opportunity to play on the wing a bit, but also come inside a lot, because he feels quite at home uh, uh, in the center too. So yeah, a, lo a lot of variety there, a lot of different roles, a lot of different interpretations of those roles, but so far it has been going really well, and I'm curious to see uh, whether we're going to see more uniformity in that, or if that's part of the idea that Nagelsmann is going for here. I think uh, I think it's got to be a tactical choice from from Nagelsmann the way he's doing it. I think that uh, the the best example maybe of all of this was the Benfica game last I guess not this past week but the one before where Sané he wasn't even like a hybrid winger number ten kind of like he's playing in most games he was the outright number ten and Nagelsmann pushed Thomas Muller out to play sort of the the right mid right wing role in this. 4-2-3-1 and gave Sané the middle and it just so happened that he played the best game that he's ever played in a Bayern shirt and I think you're right Sebastian we're seeing a lot more matches where he is if not the at least one of these standout players and I don't think there were I don't I think you're right I don't think there was a single match last year that you could look at and say yeah this was absolutely uh, Leroy Sané's best game or he was the best player on the pitch whereas this season it's happening almost more often than not. And so uh, this Benfica game especially, Tim, do you think that was sort of, I guess, Leroy Sané's, uh, like a watershed moment where he's announcing himself at the club. He's saying, I'm here. And, I mean, this new central role, do you think that's probably what we're going to see more out of him uh, going forward rather than him playing more so out wide? I think the maybe the most... Um important game for him was probably was it the cup game against Bremer I think because that was the first game that he played on the left wing 
And granted, it wasn't, you know, there, this is a team in the fifth tier of, of German football, but instantly he looks like he was so much more dangerous. Um, like he he played with so much more confidence. And uh, and so he, he got a goal. I think he got a couple of assists as well. Um, and, and I know that you need to take it with like a pinch of salt saying, okay, great and everything. This fifth tier though. I do think that that was kind of like the beginning of, of what we've seen of, you know, Sane playing with more confidence. And yeah, he's still, he's still got like a way, like somewhat of a way to go before he becomes like the player where you can say definitively, yeah, he is worth the wages that, um, that he gets. I, I think, you know, I think you could probably say that for a lot of, um, for a lot of players. But I, I do think that the, the, the game that, that you mentioned, um, against Benfica where he was playing far more centrally I think that's that's certainly like a really interesting thing uh, a really interesting thing to see because obviously somebody like Thomas Muller while he has had you know really great moments out wide when he's you know in like the first treble season uh, he predominantly played as a right winger Tony Crowe's wherever he is now he was playing in the middle um, and then it was eventually his injury that kind of got Muller back into the middle and Robin played out wide um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, and it's great to see that that everybody is kind of willing to to work in whatever way they can to bring the um, to bring the best out of the players around them. It's it's really great to see, um, and yeah, you know, it didn't it didn't work out brilliantly against Gladbach when he was back out on the um, back out on the left, but I think that was you know I think those two games like the the Bremer game and and the game against Benfica have been really, really important moments for um, for Leroy Sane. I, I don't think I could say that this was like one was more important than the other. Um, I guess maybe you could say the Benfica one because it shows that he's kind of got this versatility. Uh, you know, like two goals and assist against against like a fairly decent side. Like Benfica are, aren't aren't a bad team by any stretch. Um, it's it's really great to see. Um, I'm I'm somebody that was like so far away from ever wanting to to like sign off on him and be like, okay, whatever. He's like this is a bust. Um, I think it's it's great to see that he's playing with confidence. He's coming back to defend and and not even like once or twice a game. Like this is a guy that is constantly working to get the ball back. If he loses it, you can see him tracking back, and it's it's really great. He's kind of doing everything that a lot of his uh, biggest critics were saying that he doesn't do. Um, so yeah, it's it's really great to see. And if if his future lies more in the middle, then that's fantastic because as you mentioned, all of our wingers are doing really really well. Whether it's Thomas Muller playing as a winger again, or or Jamal Musiala or Coman playing back in back in form, uh, everything in that sense has been working really really well. You uh you mentioned Leroy Sunday's biggest critics, Tim, but I I know that you meant Sebastian. It's okay. You can uh you can well, say I, it. I didn't want to I didn't want to name names or anything. <laughs> um, I I think you're right though. I think that we have seen him tracking back. I think that even people like Sebastian who were against him last season, and Sebastian's already done it today on the podcast, will look at him and say that's a player that right now at least uh, we're glad to have on the Bayern squad. And really, I hope he can do it again this Tuesday uh, because Tuesday Bayern face off against Benfica again before a really tough, what should be what probably will be a tough Bundesliga game against Freiburg at the end of the week and so I'm interested interested to see 
um, how Bayern line up tactically, how they respond again uh, following the way that they played in the middle of the week last week. And I think it'll kind of tell us a lot about this team and uh, what we can expect out of them as far as mentality is concerned underneath Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, but that is all the time that we have for this episode. If you've enjoyed listening or if you're a regular fan of the podcast and you haven't done this already, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can follow us over on Twitter at SuperByronPod and keep up to date with us there. Or you can email us at SuperByronPod at gmail.com. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're probably going to be there. Thank you for listening. Go out and tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.